Thank you. Well, this morning is our privilege to continue. Um, we are doing this summer a study of the gospel of, I mean, the letter of Paul to Galatians. And it's interesting that um, the letter is divided in six chapters. The first two we just finished last Sunday about the authority of Paul as, a, as an apostle. And today, and for the next two chapters, uh, three and four, he is going to talk about teachings and doctrine. He is going to bring a lot of the Old Testament, and then he is going to compare his teaching to the false teachings that just seeped into the Galatian church. And then chapter 5 and 6, the last two, is going to be a lot of practical applications that he is going to do. So this morning we are going to look at chapter 3 in Galatians. Now, I think it was a joy for all of us as a church to hear the young people this morning report and talk about their uh, experiences because we are all, as a church, glad when God is working through us in the church here, but also in other parts, like, like in California. And we as parents, especially parents of these teenagers, we are so glad to see them involved in the church, involved in service, in building the kingdom, in sharing the love and the grace of Christ with those young kids and with everybody else. We are full of joy when our kids walk in step with the Spirit. Now, there are moments, as parents, we all know, especially teenage, teenage kids challenge a lot of things. And we have moments when we take our kids, we look into their eyes, and we say, how could you do that? Where was your mind? How, and sometimes we will say, how can you be so stupid? And this is what Paul does. You know, Paul is very familiar with this church. Paul went to Galatia, planted a lot of churches there. This is a province in today's Turkey. And he left them to grow in their faith. But there is this group of Jews from Jerusalem who went up there. And they started to say, well, you have Christ. And you receive the gospel from Paul. But you also have to follow the law to be circumcised to follow the food ceremonies and the holy days of the Jewish Torah. So Paul says to them, How, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? How can you believe such a thing? And it's a powerful thing. Paul says, who, who bewitched you? Another translation says, Did somebody put a hex on you? I mean, what's wrong with you, says Paul? You started so well, and now you don't want to finish well? And the truth is that throughout history, people have tried to follow the gospel. There is always the temptation to add things to the gospel, to have a gospel plus something, Jesus plus something, faith plus something else. And throughout the history it happened, and it's not... It's not only uh, in Paul's time. It went even many, many centuries after him. Do you remember? Maybe this guy, Martin Luther. He was a doctor in theology, okay? He was a monk. He was a professor in a university teaching the Bible, the scriptures, Hebrews and Greek, to other people. He was every day in church, in service. He was waking up early in the morning to pray. So in any way, he was a very pious, 
deeply Christian, spiritual man. And one thing that he could not attain through doing penance and prayers and teachings and study and everything else, he could not reach the assurance of salvation. He was never assured that if he dies right now, he is going to be with his Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he believed, like the church in that time, that we need faith plus good works. And that's what Protestantism, the Protestant Reformation, that he was one of maybe the first kind of major reformer, right? And he started to teach the book of Romans to his students when he understood that salvation is by faith alone. And when he got to the book to teach the book of Galatians, which is our book, then he started to understand and to put in the right place. He said, okay, now this is the place for the law. And this is the place for the faith. And he grasped Paul's argument in this book. And that's how he started to preach that salvation is by faith alone through grace. Not through any good work so that nobody could boast. And that was the power of the Reformation. And except the Protestant church, I will say, there is no other religion or even church on earth that preaches salvation by faith through grace. Because all of the other religions, they say, you have, even some other historical churches, they say, you have to have faith, but also good works. Hey, if you build a monastery, if you build this beautiful church, God will receive you in heaven. That was a false teaching. If you do this for Christ, then you will merit, you will deserve a place in heaven. That was false. And it is false then, and it is false today. It is false in Paul's time, in Luther's time, and in our time. Every other religion says, do this, work hard. Buddhism, anything, you know, you'll get a better karma. In Islam, the same thing. You, you follow these five pillars, you know, you pray five times a day. You do these things, and then hopefully your good deeds are awaiting your bad deeds, and, and then Allah will receive you in His heaven. It's always a religion of works, and Protestantism is no. So Paul is building his argument on two, I think, two major kind of uh, defenses. And the first defense, he says, look at your experience. You are Christians, so the first five verses, he says, look at your Christian experience, and you will see that you were not saved by your good deeds, by your good works, by the, by the strength of your own nature. He says, by the means of the flesh, but by the means of the Spirit. And the second part, he says, let's look at the Scripture. And he will look at Abraham and the Torah. That will be the second argument. So first, he says, and it's a Trinitarian. Why is it a Trinitarian? Because he says, every person of the Godhead is involved in your salvation. And he says, look at your experience. You start with Christ. He says, before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Before your very eyes. Can you imagine Paul preaching them? Maybe going with a poster in town. And maybe renting a billboard. And putting Jesus there and saying, Come to this session. We are going to learn about Christ. About the Savior who was crucified. And he preached to these Gentiles. Not to the Jews, but to these Gentiles in Galatia. He preached the gospel. And he preached a Christ that died on the cross. He preached a Christ that loved them and loved them to the end, which is to death on the cross. And, and it's like, clearly portrayed means like that. Putting Christ on a poster, and maybe 
Paul was one of the best evangelists of all time, right? It's like Billy Graham of our time. He knows how to explain the gospel. That's why in September we will have like a crusade here downtown in front of the Gerald Ford Museum. It's called City Fast. And we're going to have maybe 30,000 people go there and hear the gospel. And one big evangelist, Louis Palau, is going to present the gospel clearly. And then invite everybody else to respond, West Michigan, to respond to that gospel. It's a great opportunity. And that's what Paul says. Do you believe do you, do you remember when you believed in Christ that I preached to you a Christ that was on the cross and He finished your salvation on the cross? You don't need to add anything to be saved. Remember when I told you that He said on the cross, He said, it is finished. It is finished. Salvation is finished. And that's the first thing that He says. And then He says, the second person is involved, is involved in your experience. Do you remember? I would like you to learn just one thing. Did you receive the Spirit by the work of the law? Or... By believing what you heard. In other words, did you have to clean your act to say that you became a Christian? Paul said, come on, just be honest. How did you come to Christ? Because you, you became a good person from a bad person, and then you said, okay, now I am a, a child of Jesus? Are you so foolish, he says the second time. He says, can you, I mean, how can, every, every one of us, he says, are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Paul is saying, I cannot believe that you let yourself to be deceived, bewitched. And the church is bewitched. You know, people even today, they think that if they do good things, they deserve to go to heaven. Or if, or if they, don't go, they don't do so bad things, if they're not like criminals, if they're just liars and adulterers, and that's fine, you know, full of pride and envy and jealousy. That's okay, because I'm not killing. I mean, I haven't killed anybody, so therefore I can still go to heaven. And even today, the church and Christianity is, is like I said, fooled by this teaching like, Paul, like in Paul's time. And Paul says, you started well. Why don't you keep on going well? Remember, Paul says, what you have experienced, you have experienced so much was it in vain if it really was in vain? Do you, think that, do you think that your experience of salvation, of being free from your sins, of being forgiven, of being accepted, of being born again by the power of the Spirit in the grace and righteousness of Christ by faith, receiving the Spirit's gifts, is that all gone away? Is that, was that in vain? Why do you want to throw that and say, well, now you have to do things to be saved. You have to do things to be righteous. You see, the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives. And He's involved at every conversion. And that's why we pray for West Michigan, for the lost. Because we believe that He has to be involved. When He comes in a non-believer, He does the first thing, is convicts the person of sin, the Bible says. And that's what we want. People, they need to feel guilty, to feel their, their shame and their guilt, their brokenness. Because we cannot respond to God. We cannot climb up to God. And then, the second thing, the Spirit is, they offer the solution and says, there is a solution. There is Christ. Look at Him crucified. Crucified, finished with His work of salvation. And it is a gift to you and to me. And that's what the gospel says. Take this. Step into this freedom. Accept what Jesus did by faith. Not by your works, but by His works. 
by the works of Jesus in his life and in his death on the cross. He is the one who gives us something that we cannot gain ourselves. And then as Christians, when, once we are born again, remember the, 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 the Spirit said through Jesus, he said to Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, if you are not born again by water and the Spirit, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. And once you accept that, once you accept the sacrifice of Jesus, the Holy Spirit continues to say, now I've done so much to you, I've blessed you so much, I give you gifts I give you the fruit of my presence in you, the peace, the joy. Now I want you to walk in step with me. Let's walk life. The Holy Spirit is a person that wants to walk with us. Jesus cannot walk with us, but he walks because he is in heaven in God's presence. But he walks with us through the power and the presence of his Spirit that is in us. And he empowers us to walk in step with the Spirit. And that's what the Godhead wants you to do, to walk in step with the Spirit, because He wants you to read the Word, to pray. It's like developing a relationship with your spouse or with a friend. You listen and you talk. You listen to them, that is reading God's Word, and praying is responding. And then you also have to obey the will of God, because if you disobey, you are misstepping. The Bible says you are, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. You are grieving the Holy Spirit. And if you keep disobeying, you quench the Holy Spirit. When David sinned with Bathsheba, in Psalm 51, he says, Lord, I, I sinned against you. But then he says, please search me and cleanse me and renew my heart, he says. David says, give me a right spirit, restore in me a right spirit. Give me again the fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Help me again to be in step with you. Put me back in step with you. I lost, I lost my rhythm. And I follow other false teachings, other gods. I fell into temptation, David says. But bring me back, Lord. Have mercy on me. Forgive my sin. And bring me back in your presence, in, your, in the cadence, the rhythm with the Holy Spirit. Let me walk again in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. And that's our call this morning. To walk with the Spirit. Maybe you are in the church and you say, I've never done that. Today is your invitation from God. Walk in step. Let Jesus come and change your life. And then walk with you for the rest of your life. Say, this is me. Lord, this is me now. I want you to do the same thing that you did for the Galatians. You changed their hearts. And I want to follow you. Holy Spirit, work in my heart. The transformation that I need. I am surrendering myself to you. And then, then the, four, the third person is, is God the Father. Look what he says. Paul says, so again I ask, does God the Father give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by the work of the law or by your believing what you heard? This is the work of the Father in us. And the Father works in us and he works among us. And the word there you can say is within us. If there is a miracle that happened into your life, that you are here today, it is because of the will of the Father, because He works miracles in your life, in my life. That's why we are here. And because He constantly gives us the gift of the Spirit to guide us, to apply to us the salvation, the righteousness of Christ. And He gives us this miracle. And not only that, but 
miracles include the wonderful transformations within the life of a Christian. There was this story, maybe you heard of a skeptic who asked a Christian who used to be a terrible drinker, an alcoholic. And the skeptic said, so you are a Christian. Yes, I am. Do you really believe what the Bible says about miracles? And he said, yes. And then he laughed, the skeptic. And then said, come on, do you really believe that Jesus took water and transformed the water into wine at a wedding? And then the drinker said, you know what? I will tell you this. In my family and in my life, he took my wine and he transformed the wine into food, into clothing, and into furniture. Look at the furniture in my house. It is all my wine. That's what he did in my life. And that's our testimony, right? We have moments when we can point to the miracles of God in our own lives. And we are the church of Christ because of the power of God that works in us miracles through the Spirit. Christ said, I will build my church. But he's not building it alone. He's building it through the power of the Spirit, through the Father that works in us. It's like Pastor Ron, you know, he uses those boxes accepted by God. And he said, it's only Jesus there. And Paul says, it's only God. Righteousness is only the salvation. This is the salvation that only the Godhead brings to us. It's Jesus through his sacrifice, being crucified. Remember that? And it says, through the Holy Spirit that gives us new birth. And it is the Father who works in us miracle. It's not by the means of the flesh. Forget about the flesh. And Paul says, how can you be so fooled to believe that your flesh can gain anything, any merit that deserves God's salvation? And then, this is basically the Trinitarian argument. God is at work in us to justify us through the work of the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the miracles of the Father. And you and me today, we are a miracle. And then Paul says, let me look at the scripture. Do you think that we should look at the scripture? He says, okay, you talked about Abraham. You talked about Torah. You talked about the books of Moses. Let me go back to you, with the uh, to the book of Moses, he says. So he goes back to the Torah, even to Abraham. So he says, so Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He's basically quoting exactly Genesis 15, verse 6. Genesis 15, verse 6, is exactly God's promise to Abraham. He looks at Abraham and says, because this pagan believed in my promise, now I will count his belief, his faith, as righteousness. And it's very hard for them to understand that. And yet, everybody knows that Abraham was the father of all believers. And Paul says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. He doesn't say those who are being circumcised or those who have the law. No, those who have faith. Those who have faith. And it says here, it was credited. God credited. It means put into one's account. Just imagine that you are being charged with five accounts. That you maybe have lied. Maybe you have deceived somebody. Maybe you broke some other laws and you are in the court. And you are sentenced to death for your sins. And the sentence is death. And you are going to be executed. 
And the accuser, the devil, that's what the Bible calls him, he always says, I know that guy. I know that teenage boy. I know that teenage girl. I know that guy, that adult father or mother. I know they are adulterers. They are fornicators. They are liars. They are blasphemous. I know how they talk. They curse God. They use God's name in vain. They are proud and jealous. I know them. They lose their temper and they are angry at others and almost want to destroy other people and backstab them. They deserve that. They are sinful people. And Christ comes and says, yes, they are sinful people. They deserve that. They have sinned against God. And their sentence should be, is correct, is death. But then Jesus says, but let me tell you something. At the right proper time, and we will study later in Galatians, he says, God sent the Son, and it is me. And I came, and I died. I lived a righteous life for each and every one of them. I died on the cross from them. I fulfilled the law and all of the requirements of the law on their behalf. And my righteousness, my righteousness I am now putting on them. So he takes our bill, which is guilty, and it should be hanged or executed on an electric chair on the cross. He says, let me die on their behalf. Put me in their spot. And he gives us credit so that our record is cleansed. There's nothing that stands against us. And Jesus looked to the accuser and said, Do you remember that I paid for them? It was life for life. My life for his life. For her life. And, and then we walk free. You see, that's the gospel. That Jesus offers us salvation. Something we cannot do. Something we cannot do. And the fact is that the Jews misunderstood that. They always thought that salvation is through Abraham. To their you know, maybe you do this ancestry study and then you say, oh, I'm a Jew or something. Can you imagine somebody saying, I'm a Jew, therefore I'm saved? There was this guy, maybe you remember Larry King. He's an older guy on TV and he said, oh, I'm okay, I'm okay. Why, why are you okay? Well, I know that God will take care of me. Why? Because somebody told me that I'm a Jew, so God will take care of the Jews. So I'm going to heaven, no problem. Well, let me say this. This is false gospel. It's bewitched. We are bewitched if we believe that. No matter how much we are Jews. You know, you see, but the, the, the thing is the Jewish people were always proud of their genealogy, of their family, because all of them, they came from Abraham. And they say, they, we claim Abraham as our father. But the problem is that they thought that this relationship with Abraham guarantees their salvation, which is totally false. Because God, and it's our problem too, you know, God is not looking at that. Today in the church, you might be here and you think, because my parents are faithful, I will be also saved. But that's wrong. God doesn't have grandchildren. You see, salvation is true spiritual transformation. It doesn't matter who do you belong to as a physical DNA. You can look at your family tree and it doesn't matter where you come. Who is your ancestor? We all come from one head, Adam, who is broken, who has fallen, Adam and Eve. And we all need the second head, the second Adam, Christ, to save us. And that's what God wants you and me to be saved. And you see, even the Jews and the Gentiles, only when they believe, are saved. Salvation is by faith alone through grace. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It's by faith and grace. You know, Paul says there, you Galatians, foolish Galatians. He's not afraid to name them Galatians. He's like, say, you Michiganders, you know, West Michiganders or whatever. Sometimes we, we think that God is like, we need to neutralize him, that he's 
colorblind, that he doesn't see cultures and, and languages, but he does. And he says, every culture is beautiful. Whether you are wrapped as a human being, as an African, or a Caucasian, or an Asian, it doesn't matter. What matters is that your heart is transformed by the power of Christ. And he, in fact, rejoices. He says, you know, this is what he says to Abraham. He says, you, Abraham, receive righteousness because of your faith. And that's what happens. And then, later on, years later, years later, in the life of Abraham, he comes back in chapter 17 and says, now you should be circumcised. And then so many, four centuries later, he comes and gives the law. Do you see that? The, Ju the Judaizer, you know, these, these teachers from Jerusalem, they say, you know, if you want to be saved, if you want to be righteous, that's fine, believe in Jesus, but remember two other things. You need to be circumcised, and you need to obey the law of Moses. You need to add these things, and Paul says, no way. Forget about those things. That's a false teaching. Look what Paul says. The good news is that Scripture foresaw that God will justify the Gentiles, not by words, but by faith, and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations, all nations, that includes you and me. That's wonderful. We'll be blessed through you. By faith. By faith, not by works. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Abraham is the man of faith, and we rely by faith with him. Abraham is the, the head or the, the father of all the faithful, and we are nothing else but Gentiles who rely on the faith like Abraham. And he says, if you do that, then you are saved with Abraham. Because Abraham was not saved because he was circumcised or because he obeyed the law. But remember, he was justified by faith before the circumcision, before the giving of the law. So how? How can you go back to those teachings, Paul says? Stay pure, stay pure. Grow your faith on the purity of the gospel. 2,000 years before Christ, the gospel was preached to Abraham. All nations, the Dutch, the Romanians, the Cubans, the Vietnamese, the Chinese, all nations, the Koreans, will be blessed by faith, by faith, through faith, not by works. And that's the wonderful power of the gospel. Now, how do you grow that faith, right? How do you grow that faith? It's just like a relationship. Faith is a perspective. Once you, once you believe in God, you want to know Him. Once you believe somebody, once you think that this person is my wife or should be my wife or should be my husband, you want to spend a lot of time to know that person. Once you have a friend and you say, I want to be a friend, you spend time, you listen to them, right? And that's what we do. Reading God's Word is listening to His voice. He is talking to us in His Word. And that's what Paul says. Let me use the Torah because he spoke in the Torah. And now we have the Bible, the New Testament also. And if you say, well, I do this at home, that's wonderful. One of you said to me the other day, I, I, am, a, I am an older person and I read the Bible, but I, it doesn't make sense. I cannot understand anything that I read. So we said, okay, maybe you should come to church. So even today I would say, just come at 4 o'clock in the library. We will use this model, just show up. Is you don't need to prepare, just bring your Bible and bring your smile and desire to dig into God's Word. And we will read together. We will read with the Bible and listen to it. A dramatized version. 
Read, reading the Bible is very important. You read at home, you read when you leave the house, when you come back. And then you speak to God, you pray, you read, you read the Bible, then you pray God's word back to Him. You pray about you, about your family, you pray about the lost in our city. If you want to come to church and pray, there is a possibility, right? On Wednesday, we have twice at 6.30 in the morning at 9 o'clock if you want to pray here. And also, we have, because of the city fast, we have this book, Why Pray? It's a book that uh, it has, it's a devotional, beautiful devotional, 40 days of prayer. And we invite you to take one of these. They are in the table here. We, we had 50. I'm not sure how many are left, but first come, first serve. Make, make sure you get one. If there is none left, then just put your name. We'll get one tomorrow in your mailbox. And we want you to start 40 days to pray for the lost. If you start them on July 31st, there are 40 days till the city fast. So you pray for the people, either the prodigal son or daughter or nephew or neighbor, who you want them to come to Christ. So use the devotional to do that. And then you also have to love everybody. Because Paul loved Galatians, right? He wanted them to know the gospel. And that's what we want. So make sure you become what we call a decision counselor or a festival friend for the city fast. What is that? It means that you are there with your family. But when the moment comes and somebody responds to the gospel, you are there. But just, move, just those 10, 15 minutes is not a long time. And you'll be marked down by a t-shirt, you know. So just listen what a festival We're praying for 4,000 festival friends at the Nabuwan Park on September 8th and 9th. Well, what is a festival friend, you may ask? Well, a festival friend is just an ordinary person having a 10-minute conversation with someone who responded to the gospel. And we simply ask the festival friend to do these four things. Number one, introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Duffy. What's your name? Number two, listen to the reason why they... The individual responded to the gospel. This is a chance to hear what the Lord's doing in their life. And then number three, write down the contact information so we can get them plugged into the local church and be discipled. Number four, encourage them and pray for them. Welcome to the family of God. I'm so happy for you. Let me pray for you. Individuals interested can be trained online, which is, there's a link below, or go to an upcoming live training event, which is also listed below. And we encourage you, you as a church, pick one of those that are closest to you and invite your people to attend there. The final note is festival friends are very important. And we have found that 75% of the people who make a decision or who respond to the gospel uh, come with a friend. And 80% of those ride in the same car. Many times the festival friend is that person who invited their friend and rode in the car with them. So how exciting for them. So get your people engaged in this incredible and easy evangelistic opportunity. So remember, we have a festival friend training here at Hillside of the, the 400 churches that are partnering in this. We are one of the six or so that have training here. So we will have on August, that's a Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, 14. Make sure that you come. You can put your name down on the table. We have a table here in the foyer. This is the book that you will get as a festival friend. It's a devotional you will give to somebody who makes a decision for Christ. And the only thing you need to do is to fill out this card, rip it off, you keep it, and you give this to them. And pray for them. It's going to be wonderful. You don't need to do more than that. And make sure that you, as you leave, you can also take from the table a yard sign. That's how you will know who's a Christian on your street. Maybe you'll think, oh, that was, I thought he's a Gentile, but now he's a Christian. You know, or, or you have this, this, you know, door, door hangers, you know, like this. Or just a simple invite card like this. Grab as many as you want and invite your friends. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks for the gospel, for 
Paul's invitation to keep the gospel pure, to keep Jesus as crucified, the central figure in our lives, and to allow you as a father to continue to do miracles in us and through us in West Michigan, through us in our workplace, in our families. So bless us, each and every one of us, as we continue to let you to teach us how to walk in step with you, to be, cra- to be faithful and devoted disciples of Christ, a channel of blessing for our city and for our families. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.